To open up to James chapter 1 for our message this morning, James chapter 1. While you're looking there, I just was curious, how do you look today? I mean, you look fine to me, but I was just wondering, did you take a moment before you left the house to just check it out to make sure you didn't have any food in your teeth, you know, any clump of something in your hair or, uh, you know, some crumb dangling from your your lip? Hopefully, uh, you did take a a moment, I assume you did take a moment to make sure all the hair is in the right place and the collars turned down and and that you weren't going to be an embarrassment to yourself or to others as I often am for my family. You know, if my wife wasn't there, you, it would be ugly every week, you know. <laughs> Always kind of putting the finishing touches on me as I go out the door. I've had those moments, I don't know about you, I've had those moments where I'm walking out the door and, and she just kind of gives me that look so I know something's going on and she's like, are you going to comb your hair? Or did you, were you thinking about it? I have looked and um, maybe kind of forgotten that a few things were still out of place. Well, James picks up on that familiar image for us. At the end of James chapter 1, he uses that idea of a person who has obvious glaring issues in their life, but they seem to be unaware of them, seem to have forgotten them. Listen to the description that James gives beginning in verse 22. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. And this person's religion is worthless. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now this whole passage is kind of tied together, you might say, with the idea of self-deception. He talks about it there in verse 22. He talks about it even down in verse 26. He talks about the person who is deceived. They have an impression of themselves. They might have a, an idea of what they project out to other people, but their perception, their self-perception is not in line with realities. Or another way to say this is the way that they see themselves is not the way that everyone else sees them. Or maybe they looked in the mirror and saw themselves briefly. They saw what other people might see, but they quickly forgot about that, and they went their merry way. And they're sort of going through life and, um, and having all of these interactions with people without any sense of self-awareness, without knowing what are the glaring issues in their life. They're self-deceived, particularly in their religious participation. They, they have a fake religion. What James wants to tell us about, what he wants to explain to us, is the difference between that kind of 
sort of lack of self-awareness, that kind of fake religion and real religion. What is the real thing? What does it really look like? This is the downfall of so many people throughout all time is that they get fooled by religious activity. They're involved with religious activity. They attend church. They maybe read the Bible or they give. Perhaps they're in a Christian home where people talk about the Bible, where people pray together sometimes. They, they're, they're involved with religious activity, but they're not real Christians. Or they don't have real religion. In fact, we don't even like to use the word religion these days. James is unique even in his own use of it. Scripture doesn't use it very often because the word itself generally refers to outward practices, outward ceremonies. It was used occasionally to describe what took place in the temple in Jerusalem. And much of what Jesus himself confronted in his time here on earth was people who were satisfied by simply these outward practices without realizing that all of it was just external, none of it was touching their heart, all of it was superficial. But James, he probably uses this really rare word here because he wants to challenge anyone and everyone who is involved with just those kinds of outward practices. He would avoid it maybe the same way that you and I would frequently avoid it because we know that religion is so much more than just those outward activities. But he wants to challenge you this morning. If you're somebody who regularly attends church and someone who sings the song and, and maybe participates here or there in these activities, says a prayer from time to time, you are religious outwardly. You do all the external stuff. But the, the issue is that your religion is fake. It's superficial, whether you acknowledge it or not. Now, he's already been talking to us a little bit about this. He's been talking to us about the person that, in one sense, he calls them double-minded. That they, they, they make a claim to God, but they really are very doubtful about him. He talks to the person who gives in to temptation. He talks to us about what genuine faith looks like in the context of trials and temptations and all of that. But now, he's kind of zeroing in on the issue of God's Word and the response to God's Word. This is the ultimate test of where you stand in terms of your faith, whether your faith is fake or whether it is real. And he's already done this. You remember back in verse 19, we looked at a couple weeks ago in discussing how people respond to the Word of God, how they respond to instruction. When someone tries to give them counsel or direction from God's Word, some of them just refuse to listen. Some of them listen but are so quick to give excuses and to want to give a rebuttal and want to sort of explain all of their their lack of compliance and obedience and then there are some people who just get angry you try to talk to them you try to point to God's word in their presence and they just want to storm out of the room they're just angry And so he says, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That ought to be your demeanor 
before the Word of God. You ought to have a listening ear. You ought to have a a closed lip, and you ought to have a settled heart, and you ought to ponder what it says. Not only that, he tells us in verse 21 to put away filthiness and all the pervasive wickedness that surrounds you in the world and receive with meekness the implanted word. So that's kind of where he's already been moving, uh, telling us to receive this word, not just politely listening to it, holding your tongue, holding your anger. Plenty of religious people do that. They attend church. They present themselves respectably. But James wants to clarify what separates those who have real religion and those who have fake religion. What real religion looks like. And particularly, he gives it to us in four situations. First of all, in verses 22 through 25, real religion responds to the problems that God's Word uncovers. Real religion responds to the problems that God's Word uncovers. And James gets at this by, first of all, telling us to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. A well-known verse in Scripture, be doers of the Word. And it really ought to be translated, become or show yourselves to be doers of the Word. Because the, the, uh, the verbal aspect here, the, the, the particular form of this Word, isn't just a state of just a, a, a to-be verb. It, it's a verb about becoming something. And so this is not the person who sits and listens, whether it's to sermons or counsel or whatever it might be. This is the person who, when they sit under the Word of God, it has a transforming impact on their life. They, they allow it to change them so that they're not just a listener, but they become a doer. They prove themselves to be a doer. Because, as James says here, if you are just a hearer, if you are just a listener, you are deceiving yourself. You're fooling yourself about your salvation, about where you really stand, about the nature of your religion. You have all this religious activity taking place all around you. You may even have Christian friends. As I said, you may be in a Christian home. You may know a lot of the terminology. You may be able even to articulate some of the theology. But at the end of the day, you are just a hearer, not a doer. You know, Greek philosophers use this word to talk about those people who would come and sit in on their philosophical lectures. They weren't official students. They hadn't, we might say, they haven't enrolled in the school of such and such a philosopher. They are what we would call today an auditor. I have auditors sometimes who come and they sit in my classes when I teach at the seminary and they would listen. They have an interest, I guess, in the subject. So they'll come and they'll sit and they'll listen to the lectures. But they do none of the work. They don't, they don't turn in any of the papers. They don't take the quizzes. They don't do all the reading. They don't do all that the course requires. They're just auditors. They're just listeners, which is fine. It has its place from time to time. But don't be fooled into thinking that somehow by just auditing the classes, you're going to get the degree, right? Uh, you, 
You can't make a claim to being a, a student, a real student. You can't make a claim to having earned some degree if all you do is listen. Well, James is telling us you can't really make a claim to being a Christian if you're just a hearer and not a doer. Don't be deceived, he says, into thinking you truly know God. The mark of real religion is transformation. The mark of real religion is becoming a doer. Listening with eagerness. Listening with submissiveness. Listening with intent to be changed. This is what Jesus said would mark those who truly follow Him. Luke 6 Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house and it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do is like a man who built a house on the ground on, on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and ruin the ruin of that house was was great. Why would you make a claim? To belong to Christ? Why would you make a claim to be religious? Why would you make a claim to be a Christian if you have no intention of actually following the Lord? Why would you even call Jesus Lord if you have no intent of submitting to Him? You're fooling yourself. Just fooling yourself. John says in 1 John 2, by this we know that we know Him that we keep His commandments. If we keep His commandments, that's what defines you. It's not what you claim. It's not what you profess with your lips. It's what you do that defines you. How you respond to the Word of God is the greatest indicator of your spiritual state. The Bible warns you and me about those who have just a form of godliness but deny its power. They have just an outward expression. They're just hearers and not doers. They're, they're self-deceived people. In fact, the word that James uses here when he talks about this person deceiving themselves, it's the word paralagizomai. It's a mathematical word for a calculation. And what he's saying is you're miscalculating. You're, you're miscalculating, you're overestimating all of this external stuff that you might be doing, attending maybe some, some church services and going through some of the motions. You're overestimating that and you're underestimating the follow-through. You're underestimating the, the gaping holes that are still there from your lack of follow-through. And then James explains it to us with this vivid analogy. He describes you, if you're just a listener, like a person who looks in the mirror and sees his or her natural face the way it is with all of its flaws and blemishes and marks. They look at themselves and the implication is 
that the mirror reveals something that needs attention. But as soon as you walk away from the mirror, you completely forget what you just saw. And this now is like you if you're just a hearer. You sit, you listen to the Word of God, you hear it, you might recognize as the preacher preaches or the Sunday school teacher teaches or the counselor gives you guidance, you might recognize that there is an incongruency between your life and the Word of God. You know that, that, that what's being explained from the Scripture is not you. That there's a big difference. You don't have that kind of life. You don't have those kinds of desires. Your life doesn't match up to whatever is being explained from the Word of God. But you sit and you listen to it and you see the problem. And then as soon as you leave, you forget. I mean, by the time you hit the door or by the time you hit the lunch table or by the time you hit some afternoon activity, it is out of your mind. Maybe you're the person who, is, who, who responds to God's Word and you just tune it out. You're just, you don't even listen. Or maybe you're the person who you respond to it, but you have all these excuses. You're quick to speak. Or maybe you're the person who, when people try to point out the incongruencies of your life, you get angry. You just storm out of the room. Maybe you're one of those people. Or maybe you're the self-deceived person. You're the person who listens and you have some level of interest maybe in what's being said and you find it all sort of intriguing and you, you hear how Christians are supposed to live and how they're supposed to speak and how they're supposed to think And you know your life doesn't match up, but as soon as you're out of here, it is out of your mind. You're unmoved. Mildly interested, but unmoved. James says you're deceived. Religious, but deceived. Worse than that, you're like a person who looks in a mirror and sees something that needs to be taken care of, and you just ignore the mirror. In other words, you're like a person who goes out into public with all of these issues. Your, your, your messed up hair, your thing, something stuck to your cheek, you know, you got smudge on your collar or, as I said earlier, some, some clump stuck in your hair or whatever it is. And it seems to other, like, others like you never even looked in the mirror. And here you go parading yourself around, you're smiling, you're laughing, you're trying to engage in all these conversations. And if you only knew what is obvious to everyone else who's looking at you, you would be crushed by embarrassment. Well, James is using that analogy. If you only knew what everyone else could see so plainly, you're walking around imagining that no one is able to see through your facade. You're imagining that you look just fine, but you don't know what everyone else can see. Your life is messed up. Your life is crumbling. It is falling apart or or 
coming apart at the seams. And here you sit under the truth of God's Word week in and week out, just like everyone else does. But the difference between you and them is that they are hearing the Word of God and they are responding to the Word of God and their lives are being changed and you're not. You're just forgetting about it all. You just walk away again and again and again and you never do anything about it. You're just a hearer, not a doer. And you are self-deceived. Maybe not deceiving everyone else, but you're self-deceived. But then listen to how James contrasts that with real religion. In verse 25, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Here's the guy or the girl listening, they're hearing, and then they're implementing, they're doing. And guess what their life looks like? It looks like a life that's put together. It looks like a life that is complete, that is rich, that is fulfilled. They are blessed. James says they're, they're the ones, they look into the perfect law, the law of liberty. This perfect law, this law of liberty, which obviously is the same thing that was discussed in verse 22, the Word of God that they're hearing, or the same thing in verse 21, the Word that He mentions there that we're supposed to set aside all the pervasive wickedness of the world and receive the implanted Word. Or even back in verse 18, the Word which was what God used to bring us forth. It is the Gospel, in other words. The Word that caused us to be born again. That Word is the Word that's implanted according to the New Covenant. That Word, which is the Word that we're supposed to live uh, live according to, that Word which we're supposed to hear and do, that Word, now James calls it the perfect law, the law of liberty, which by the way, if you go over to chapter 2, he starts talking about this again, and there in verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty, which if you look back at verse 11 is things like do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not this, do not that. We know what that is. That's the Ten Commandments, right? This is the law of God. This is, especially in James's world, this was the word of God. Uh, This was, as we said a number of times, most likely the first New Testament book. There was no New Testament scripture floating around. So when James starts talking about the perfect law, when he starts talking about the law of liberty, whenever he starts talking about the word of God that you're supposed to sit and, and look into and peer into, he had nothing else but the Old Testament. And yet, even that law in James's mind was the perfect law. It was, even that law was the law of liberty. It was the law which liberates you, which sets you free. Why does it do that? Because it is truth. Because it is truth. Bottom line, that's all that matters. 
Because that truth sets you free. James didn't have all these sort of chopped up versions of the Bible where some of it was true and some of it wasn't true or some of it was, was hurtful and some of it was helpful and some of it was relevant, some of it was irrelevant. It didn't matter. As long as you are looking into the Word of God, it was the perfect law. It was the liberating law. It was the law of truth. And you look into it and it reveals things about you. If you're reading it, if you're interpreting it faithfully, it is liberating. Now, this is oxymoronic for some people. They just cannot fathom how such a thing could be. How could a law be liberating? Laws are binding. Laws are restricting. Laws take away our freedoms. Laws take away our joy. Well, not according to James. In fact, he has this thoroughly biblical view That the thing which takes away your joy and the thing which actually binds you is your sin. That's what actually is restricting you from having a life that is fulfilled. That is, in your own deceived world, what you don't realize, what you haven't pondered enough. And so what he wants you to do is he wants you to sit and he wants you... To look intently into this law, this perfect law. You know, it's a classic expression in Psalm 119 of this same idea. Although you find find these kinds of words on the lips of Job and the lips of Daniel and the lips of David or even the lips of Paul who declares that the law of God is good and perfect and right. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I will not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on your commandments. This is the thing that's going to keep me from shame. Verse 39, Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In righteousness, give me life. Verse 93, I never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. This is a description of God's Word. Whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. This is a description of God's Word. This is the attitude of the person who is blessed. They're sitting, they're listening, whether it's to the commandments of God, whether it's to the writings of the Apostle Paul, doesn't matter, really. It's all perfect. It's all complete. The hearer, on the other hand, they sit and they listen to preaching or they listen to counsel or they listen to instruction and they're thinking, this is terrible. This, this is going to ruin my life. This, this is going to take away all of my joy. And they want nothing to do with it. One who's a doer, though, they're listening, they're realizing this is the way of liberty. This is the way of freedom. This is the way of blessing. 
Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. This is the, this is the proper perspective. These commandments are liberating because they're true. And truth sets you free. So the person with real religion, they hear, they're changed. They respond and they're blessed. They confess their sins to the Lord. They ask God for mercy and forgiveness. Because of Christ, they receive that forgiveness And then God implants the word within them. He writes it on their heart according to the new covenant promise. And then they are empowered to begin to obey. And then they're changed. You remember the words of Joshua, Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night and be careful to do everything that is written in it. For then... You will make your way prosperous and then you will find good success. Forgetful hearer, they, they don't get it. I mean, they look in the mirror, they look in the law, they see, the, they see all of these problems. The answers are right there. Week in, week out, day in and day out, the answers are right there. But as soon as they are out of the presence of the counselor, as soon as they are out of the presence of the preacher... They just go their way and pursue whatever they want to pursue and they are not blessed. Their life is miserable and they cannot figure out why. Well, they're just a hearer. Their religion is fake. They don't understand the law of God. Now, in verse 26, James drills down a little deeper to help us understand what he means by this doing of the word. And his first example deals with your speech. Still talking about people who are deceived, but he tells us now that real religion deals with the damage that's done by your tongue. Real religion deals with the damage that's done by your tongue. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. You have an opinion, you think that you're religious, you make that assessment of yourself, but James has one question for you. Do you control your tongue? Do you bridle it? Which, we know what a bridle is, that's sort of the the straps that go around the head of a horse and it has a bit, a little piece of metal in their mouth and they tie reins to it, and by these little pieces of leather and metal, you're able to turn this way or that and control these powerful beasts, these, these massive horses. And so James is picturing you controlling this powerful little thing, this tongue within you because of your sincerity before God. The person with real religion understands the power and the danger of the tongue and they put controls on it. They understood what Jesus says. John chapter 12, excuse me, Matthew chapter 12. 
Verse 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Every word. Everything that comes out of your lips over the lunch table today, everything that comes out of your lips throughout the day, throughout the week, everything you post online, you print in a letter, everything you say is going to be accounted for. Every idle word. He goes on to say, by your words you will be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. That's the telling, the telling indicator of your life. So the point is, when someone's a hearer of the word, they begin to deal with these areas. They begin to deal with the tongue, with the smallest of their members, the tongue, such a small things. James, James will come back to it in chapter 3 and, and elaborate on this even more. It boasts great things. It's so small, but it can do so much harm and damage. It can deceive and mislead. It can curse and criticize and crush people. It is so powerful and yet so easy to use. Your tongue then is the most revealing thing about your spiritual state. Jesus says, Matthew 15, what comes out of your mouth proceeds from the heart. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. So that which comes out of your mouth comes from your heart and it shows everything that's in there. This is the sum of all that you are. It's not your outward ceremony, and it's not your religious activity. Your lips reveal your heart. And so here's the evidence of real religion. Real religion attacks or controls, I should say, its speech. Of course, it controls a lot of things, But what James is really getting at here is that real religion deals with what might be perceived as the smallest of things, things like your language, your speech, your conduct. It isn't, it certainly isn't foul and lewd, it isn't hateful and hurtful, it isn't full of self-boasting It is constrained, according to the Scripture, edifying and glorifying to God. Guess what happens when that happens? When you start to do that with your tongue, it brings blessing. Your life is blessed. You suddenly find, instead of being isolated from people, instead of having no friends, instead of just being sort of left out by everyone because no one wants to hear your, your bitter tongue all the time, instead of that, you are blessing people with your tongue. Guess what? People want you around. People want to be your friend. People want to get counsel from you. 
People actually want you to be a part of their group or their party or their whatever. They want you around because now your tongue, instead of being a curse, is a blessing. And you, in turn, are blessed as a doer when you do that. You don't guard your tongue. You don't control your tongue. James says your religion is worthless. It's a word for idolatry, really. You're nothing more than somebody who goes and bows down to some big statue. You might as well do that if you don't bridle your tongue. Real religion will impact you at the smallest of levels, even in your speech. Thirdly, James says real religion sacrifices to serve the suffering. Real religion sacrifices to serve the suffering. In verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. This is basic, basic, very practical. You help people in their troubles. You take practical steps to relieve their suffering, to lighten their burden. 1 John 3 says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? How could that be? It's impossible, in other words. It's so incongruent that you would say you have the love of God in you and then have no compassion, no compassion James singles out orphans and widows because in the ancient world, these would have represented the most vulnerable people. They're the ones who had lost, if you would say this way, they lost the means of income. They lost their husbands or they lost their fathers, which in the ancient world, that is how you received income. And so the orphans and the widows, as Will Varner says, they represented the chronically impoverished. They were the chronically impoverished. They were systematically impoverished. Caught in a cycle of helplessness that they could not pull themselves out of. This is the essence of real religion. It is, he says, to visit them, which isn't his dropping in and saying hello. This is putting yourself or going down, we might say condescending, going down into their world to understand where they live, to feel their pain, to take the time to understand their plight, and then to do something about it. Psalm 146 says, the Lord watches over the sojourners, that is the the foreigners or the refugees, we might say in the modern term. The Lord watches over the sojourner and He upholds the widow and the fatherless. This is what God is like. This is how His character manifests itself. In fact, look with me over at Job. If you have your Bibles, go to Job 31. Such a instructive book that we take so little time to 
listen to. But here's Job just describing his life. He's just saying what his life was like. And he says in Job 31, verse 16, If I have withheld anything that the poor desired, if I've caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or if I've eaten my morsel alone and the fatherless has not eaten of it, For from my youth the fatherless grew up with me as with a father. And from my mother's womb I guided the widow. You know what he's saying? I didn't wait until I was some senior adult. I didn't wait until I was some well-established. Even when I was a little kid, even when I was a teenager, I engaged myself in helping the widow and the orphan. I engaged myself in helping the helpless. I was involved in these, whatever it might be, these programs to help them. Verse 19, if I've seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or the needy without covering, if his body has not been, has not blessed me, and if he has not warmed if he was not warned with the fleece of my sheep if i've raised my hand against the fatherless because i saw my help in the gate meaning that he assumed they were slacking off then let my shoulder blade fall from its shoulder let my arm be broken from its socket for i was in terror of calamity from god and i could not have faced his majesty Job is saying, how in the world could I ever imagine that God would accept me if I had no compassion for these helpless people? And I didn't wait for some convenient time in my life. I didn't wait until I just had sort of finished up my career and gathered all my riches and all those other I did this from the womb. See, this is real religion. This is real religion. Job is saying, I always had the poor in my home. I had them over for dinner. They were were eating of the same morsel I was eating from. This was not a token gift. He, He didn't just drop a nickel in the bucket when he entered the supermarket. He was seriously involved in their lives. I was thinking about this when we... Sometimes you hear in the news stories these stories of uh, these refugee crises, or I hear sometimes the presentation here at our own church from our fostering faith team talking about these orphans. And we live in a society that has so many needs. We vastly have increase the government systems that are there to take care of the underprivileged and yet even with that it seems like that the needs are just burgeoning still what an impact it would be if every christian took this seriously if the church really rose up began to do its job if people were transformed the way that they're supposed to be transformed. Real religion doesn't ignore these things. You probably pass them every day. You probably go by them as you go into 
grab a bite from the convenience store or go along the way in the grocery store or maybe even at work you brush up against them. They are perhaps the cleaning crews and the ones who are on the lower end of the job market. And the question is, what are you doing about it? Is your life so consumed with your own pursuits, your own games, your own enjoyment, your own luxuries? Is it so consumed with those things that you're untouched that you might put into practice the character of God? Real religion, plain and simple, is concerned. And it does what it has to do it sacrifices to serve the suffering and then finally James tells us verse 27 real religion along with all these things it cuts off the corrupting power of the world real religion religion that's pure and undefiled it not only does it visit orphans and widows but it keeps itself unstained from the world from the cosmos that It doesn't refer to the physical material world in that sense, but the world in its ideological sense, its philosophy, its morality, its value system. John defines it in 1 John, all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And it's passing away with all of its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so we recognize what the world is. We recognize it is full of pride. It is full of boasting, eager to boast. It's narcissistic. It draws attention to itself. It's full of lust. It's full of greed. It's full of all that stuff. And John, or excuse me, James is telling us that real religion does not allow itself to be corrupted by these things. Because you recognize it for what it is. You understand what it does to your heart. You understand the polluting sense that it has. Fake religion isn't like that. Fake religion values what the world values. Fake religion pursues what the world pursues. Cherishes what the world cherishes. Makes itself in the image of what it sees in the world. Later on, James 4.4, James will accuse you of spiritual adultery if you have a love affair with the world. Like a husband or a wife who claims to love their spouse. You claim to love God, but you really love another. James 4.4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Stop trying to fool yourself. Stop trying to fool others. You are self-deceived, James says. You can't see what other people see so plainly. Your religion is a hoax. It is bogus. It is not real. You sit under the 
law of liberty. You sit under the teaching of God's word. It exposes all kinds of things in your life, in your speech, in your lack of mercy for other people, your lack of compassion, your lack of love. It exposes your infatuation with the world and its corrupting influence. It shows all of those disturbing and destructive flaws in your life. And you, week in, week out, day in, day out, you walk away and do nothing. The question is, are you going to leave it that way? Are you going to walk away today? Today? with fake religion? Are you going to walk away today just as a hearer, not a doer, deceiving yourself? Be such a shame. God has given you the answers in His Word. It's all sufficient. It's perfect. God has given you a mirror, if you will, So that all the things that are making you miserable and all the things that are making you feel all this shame and guilt in your life, all these things that are just driving you to despair, it's all there. Just look in the mirror and let the law of liberty, God's precious word, show you how all these things can be made right. Don't be a hearer only. Be one who proves himself or herself a doer. The first step is look into the Word of God. See what it says. That you are a sinner in need of God's mercy and His forgiveness. Ask God to cleanse your heart. Ask Him to write His Word on your inner being. Commit your way to Him. And He'll make your pathway straight. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for these reminders. It is, it is a call for us to self-examination. A warning for us to know whether or not we are just hearers. I pray, Father, that You'd show Your mercy that you would help us to be transformed by the Word. We don't want to be filled just with knowledge and theology, just with all the trappings of external ceremony. We want to be moved, transformed, made more pure in our thoughts, more faithful in our speech more compassionate towards the the needy, more faithful in the stewardship of the things you've given to us. We want, Lord, to be like you. Help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.